you sheltered me from harm, kept me warm, kept me warm. You gave my life to me, set me free, set me free. This is a podcast 373 entitled Everybody's Talking, Not, the reference being to the Nielsen song that accompanied Midnight Cowboy long ago. And the point of the wistful cast today, which I hope will be uploaded and published just after Christmas, right around there, is the fact that I discover more and more, and I've seen it very dramatically in the last week, that there is one subject that people, in fact, don't talk about. They may occasionally sensationalize it, or they may imply they're talking about it, especially when it comes to suicide but um, and uh, depression. But the actuality of it in um, both anatomical... Uh, philosophical, spiritual, and enduring terms is quashed almost automatically by the human species. And I've seen it so very clearly. I'm talking about death. Don't worry, this is not going to be so heavy that it will alarm you. And in the ending, Natch will be on a different note because I always try to end with a particular uh, artist that I find to be of, as I've said before, the highest magnitude of fun and joy, especially this time of year. But what happened, and it's affected Mary and me, and it's affected a few others, only people who really um, were there long ago when this particular person's remarkable personality was um, vouchsafed to us. And I'm talking about Laurie Thompson and uh, Peter Pearson and Jay Haig and others, but not many, because there are not many who are left. But this week, um, I found out accidentally, as I had found out in January, more supernaturally, that someone I knew well at one point had suddenly died. We found out just a few days ago, a few weeks ago, for those who are listening right now, that Colin Buchanan had unexpectedly Um, medically, uh, died in Leeds Infirmary in England. And um, I put a notice of it on Instagram, and very well-meaning people um, said little notices like, I'm sorry for your loss, or, oh, I'm so very sorry, Mary, or I'm very sorry, Paul. And I wondered, I sort of turned to Mary, I said, these are sort of the kind of things you'd, um, these are by the by. Um, They're well-intended, but I wonder if anybody who's looking at Instagram knows who Colin Buchanan actually was, and the extraordinary significance of his death. I mean, this is a major death. This is not, this is like, um, you know, um, John F. Kennedy gets shot, and 
and uh, someone, you know, says, oh my gosh, I'm sorry for your loss. It, you sort of wonder, you know, um, that Rod Stewart, where, have, where has somebody been? Because Colin Buchanan was a pivotal, that, that is used in the proper sense of it, a decisive and pivotal um, minister and bishop in the fortunes of the Church of England in the mid and later 20th century. And not only that, but he communicated something that our children, Mary's and my children, will sort of laugh about because they met this man on more than one occasion who was an eccentric, uh, an unu- I mean an unusual, very much a character who, you know, if you didn't really know what was going on, you might not realize what was going on with this remarkable man. But Colin Buchanan died, I think it was on the 29th of November, surrounded by his wife, Di, and their daughters, Stephanie and Judith and others. And um, so ends an era. And let me say something about him just for a minute as a kind of uh, requisite in pace, and then uh, say the larger issue, because uh, it, it, there's been no coverage of it. Now, that may change by the time you read it, but there's been so far zero official coverage of it in the media. And I watch it. We watch it, especially in England. There will be, I feel certain, a thoughtful um, uh, obit for Colin in one or two of the English papers and probably in the Church Times. I feel certain of that. But um, basically, no one has the slightest idea. I mean, Laurie Thompson wrote some people who ought to know, and they had, I almost had the impression they didn't realize who he was. And um, now, please don't take that as a rejoinder, but it's really important because it says something about death and life. In James Gould Cousins' last novel, Morning, Noon, and Night, he describes the death of a Nobel Prize-winning, I think, scholar who had caused an enormous furore back in his 50s that just split the country apart based upon, in fact, some current issues that we have, this fellow in the this was written many years ago, but a man who, like in the 30s, causes an enormous literary and cultural furor by some things that he states in an essay. And But by the time he's 100, the President of the United States is writing to him because the people have forgotten the furor and the negativities, and now he sort of dies rather worshipped at the end. Now, Colin did not cause furors, but he's died unremembered. I mean, extraordinary. It's as if, what? How could it be possible that the whole world in the Church of England wouldn't rally to this? And as Laurie Thompson said, I mean, this man was extraordinary. Now, who he was, he was the Bishop of Woolwich in London, and before that he was the Bishop of Aston, which is like the suffragan Bishop of Birmingham. And before that he was the <clears throat> principal of St. John's Theological College, Nottingham, where Mary and I went. And before that he was simply a teacher of liturgy and vice principal. When we knew him years and years years ago in the, um, in the early 1970s. But what he was, he was an evangelical, card-carrying evangelical low churchman who had been converted, I think, while he was uh, uh, drafted into the British Army right after World War II. He'd been powerfully converted. He was a deeply converted Christian. And uh, then he went into the ministry in the evangelical wing and was really brought up through it, the John Stott, J.I. Packer world. And yet he was unusual. His father was an academic, I believe, an economist. And uh, he... Um, 
he had an unusual kind of uh, nurture, and he was extremely intelligent and also acerbic and very funny and, and rather um, intrusive as a person. Our children will remember him staying, coming in exhausted from international travel and staying in the rectory in Scarborough, New York, for three days and simply sleeping the entire time. When he got up, he was sort of boom, 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 boom. I mean, he was really clumsy on the outside and uh, incredibly emphatic, and he would never suffer fools gladly. And if he said, you said something he didn't approve of or didn't agree with, he would tell you right on the spot. I mean, talk about directness. And yet what he did is he revolutionized liturgy and worship in the Church of England because when they wanted to change the prayer book, of course, in the late 70s and make it more in accord with modern and especially theologically liberal ideas, Colin resisted it. He believed in prayer book revision for the sake of evangelism and reaching the nation, but he did not believe that it should be founded on the false principles of the wrong anthropology and non-Cranmerian understanding of the human condition and the redemption uh, of, of the gospel. So he stood for an evangelically rooted, biblically rooted, and Protestant approach to liturgy while believing in revision. And this um, was an, a completely unique uh, concatenation of factors, uh, totally unknown in the American Episcopal Church. Revision was entirely in the hands of what used to be called liberal Catholic churchmen, entirely in the hands of liberal Catholics who, on the one hand, didn't like morning prayer and wanted to supplant it with the Eucharist because the Episcopal Church was non-Eucharistically based until 1979 and three-quarters of its parish, more like four-fifths of its parishes. And secondly, they wanted to accord, uh, they wanted to bring it in light of modern ideas of theology. Colin believed in, as I say, um, mission-rooted liturgical revision of our services, but rooted in the biblical gospel of St. Paul and justification by faith. So he was a unique article, and he was very assertive, and he made, he succeeded because of his perseverance and his, the fact that truth was on his side in terms of the sources, he affected the Church of England's revision, especially of the communion services, such that the communion services were reflected a Protestant, Pauline, Augustinian, and Cranmerian, and ultimately Reformational view <coughs> sorry, of the communion and of other services as well, baptism especially, and um, and marriage and uh, other rites and passages in the Bible. He was unbelievable, and he succeeded, and there was no one like him in the American church. In addition to that, he was funny, but the most important thing about him was that he was pastor. Deep down, he had a heart of gold. He always was self-deprecatory, but if you had a real problem, you could go to him, whether he was the Bishop of Aston, uh, or he was uh, the bishop of uh, whatever, honorary bishop in the Diocese of Leeds, or whether he was um, simply at a conference, you could go to him and pour out your heart, and he would understand and empathize and listen and say something that was powerful. Mary had an amazing pastoral experience with him, and she was prepared for confirmation in the Church of England by Colin. And I once went to him, twice actually, and poured out my heart in stressful times in parish ministry, because parish ministry can be very stressful and very psychologically disorienting and unsettling and, and exhausting. And he, twice he helped me through challenging periods, and he helped her. So he was a pastor. He was a churchman in the very best sense, and he was a very intellectual, brilliant author who created many, many books, and I could go on and on and on. But my point is, Colin Buchanan was an extraordinary figure, and it's as if he never existed. I mean, when I saw that, that uh, 
that, um, and by the way, I uh, started this podcast with a um, uh, bread, uh, just to have you back again, a song of mourning by bread from the 70s is so touching. But that was an excerpt of the way we feel. And I'm not alone, but I'm more or less alone with Mary and Lori and Mary Thompson and a few others who knew him over the years, most of whom are now dead or retired. But... Um, the point is not just him, because I wanted to memorialize him here. I hope you pass this along to people in the church who might not really realize the mammoth uh, positive influence Bishop Buchanan had. But I also want to um, underline the fact that it doesn't really matter because no one cares. I mean, death is something that is almost not even discussed uh, in any real sense. I was uh, with someone the other day. I, I think what I did is I, 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 no, no, I know what it was. I put a, a comment. I was put a picture by um, William Blake of uh, from early 1800s to illustrate Robert Blair's poem. Uh, entitled The Grave from the 1700s. And I put this picture by William Blake of a widow, a disconsolate widow, hugging the um, dirt over the grave of her dead husband. And she's disconsolate and she's weeping. And the Blair poem talks about a widow weeping at the grave of her husband. And I implied, but I didn't, I simply said, this is the picture of a tremendous number of women who... Um, specifically women, because women statistically live longer than men. Not all, not all, but four-fifths of women, um, just in terms of lifespan, have a longer lifespan than men for all sorts of biological reasons. And um, um, this is, we, we know, almost every woman we know who's our age at this moment uh, is either a widow if she's been married for a long time. It's either a widow or is looking after a husband with Parkinson's or with uh, uh, advancing uh, dementia. And that's about everybody we know. And it's sort of like you're not supposed to say it. Everybody's talking not. So not only is nobody talking about the death of Colin Buchanan, but someone whom I love reacted very strongly and said, what do you mean? You're saying that women are particularly prone to grief or there's something gender oriented in in this kind of loss and I said I'm not saying it's good I'm not I replied it's not right I, I, I don't wish it were that way I wish it were not that way but in actuality of observation empirically it is that way the churches are full of women who are alone or who are caring for husbands who are not able to get there. <clears throat> there also are widowers, but it's a far smaller percentage. I mean, I live this world all my life. I've seen it. It's there. It's statistical. It's not anything anybody wants to be true. <clears throat> but then the person who had taken me on wrote back, you know, I don't understand why I was so upset. But then uh, she added this. Now I, I, I was driving along and I suddenly realized what was really on my mind. Three female, uh, older female members of my extended family, three have recently lost their husbands. This person wrote me three, and they are utterly disconsolate. They are shattered. They, they are completely and totally wiped out by the loss of their beloved husbands after all these years. And I see it now in three cases. So all I was, she, she was obviously trying to say, you know, you're, you, what you see is accurate. It may not, nobody wants this, but it is. And so the picture of uh, William Blake that he did uh, you, you can see it? John O'Linebaugh has. Uh, I put it on Instagram, but John O'Linebaugh has just done an extraordinary copying of the 16 Blake uh, 
scans for uh, the poem The Grave about life and death. They're deeply Christian. It, it's not, it's deeply true. It's bred in, in 1743 terms. It's the song I would give everything I own, my life, my heart, my own, to have you back again. But it's, um, it's powerful, and uh, and I you can see it the the disconsolate widow, but the disconsolate person in the aftermath of death, and you'll see these extraordinary pictures which are permeated by a Christian and biblical sensibility in the resurrection. Well, that's all I wanted to say. I wanted to say everybody's talking not first in the case of Colin Buchanan. Uh, you know, you, you couldn't say enough about what Colin Buchanan's odd and unusual and highly individual and not perfect, but deeply soulful Christian, pastoral, empathetic, compassionate Christian witness constitutes. You couldn't say enough, let alone about his achievement in historic terms, in in moving liturgical renewal, which is a major thing throughout the world, at least in the Anglican tradition, all over the place, moving it from <coughs> foolish uh, secular, this worldly anthropology to a modern contemporary verm, uh, version of Cranmer's power and depth and Latimer and Ridley and the others, Tyndale and Coverdale, but um, he was that. And so it's just, I just break the fact that everybody's talking as it was in The Midnight Cowboy, but nobody's really talking about it. And the same goes with what I just said. So think about it. Think about your own losses. Think about yourself. Think about death and read The Grave by Robert Blair. It's easy. You just get it in two seconds on the internet. Look at the Blake um, plates that go with it. They're also easy to see, and they're truly inspired Christian works of art. And then think of somebody you know who, having died, it's as if they never lived. And what does that say about your own life? What does that say about you? What does that say about your children? What does that say about, you know, it doesn't just relativize, but it almost negates sort of 85% of what you're thinking about. Not your love, not the love you have for your wife or husband or your children or your parents. Not that. It doesn't negate that, but it it negates almost everything else. Now we're going to conclude with a very, very special and slightly more upbeat um, uh, note on that which uh, is, uh, is eternal in the uh, Christmas and post-Christmas love of God and hope for the future. Love you.